take your Bible with me this morning and turn to Philippians chapter 3 and Romans chapter 12. Very happy to see everybody. We've had a great three services. Saturday night was packed, and in spite of the oppressive heat, I am still amazed. And uh, if you haven't tried out Saturday night church, it's identical. It just allows you the privilege to sleep in and not have to answer why, why, (laughs) early in the morning when you don't feel good. There's probably nothing more important in life than discovering God's purpose for making you. Why did he make you? What's his purpose and destiny for your life? And secondly, once you know it, then to accept that destiny and that purpose and fulfill it. I believe in many people there is a subconscious, unspoken fear that if I submit my life to God, He will make me do what I don't want to do. I want to challenge that to say nothing could be further from the truth. God never calls you to do what He has not already equipped you and purposed you to do. In Philippians 3, verse 12, Paul says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I keep working towards that day when I will finally be all that Christ has saved me for and wants me to be. He's focusing all of his energies, not on going to heaven. He's going to heaven. In fact, Paul's been to the third heaven and had revelations unlawful to be uttered. His his pressing... His struggle is to discover why God made him, why God saved him and apprehended him so he can fulfill that purpose and destiny. I want to give you this morning seven keys to discovering your purpose and your calling. And they are keys that are built into you by design, by nature, by gifting and by ability. God always provides for his purpose. So here we go. Key number one to discovering your calling and purpose. God's purpose precedes your creation. God's purpose precedes your creation. God's purpose for you preceded His creation of you. Before He made you, He had a purpose for you. Jeremiah 1, verse 4 and verse 5 says, The Lord gave me a message. He said, I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as my spokesman to the world. There's not a person in this room that does not have a God-ordained purpose hardwired into your mainframe by the Creator before you ever got here. It doesn't matter how you got here, who wanted a girl and you were a boy, who, who had illegitimate sex outside of marriage and you got, were conceived in the backseat of a Ford by two hot-blooded people who did not make a commitment to marriage and still didn't. You can go through the trauma of no family, of being unwanted, and you can be awakened and encouraged to know God had a purpose for your life before you got here. And all you have to do is give that life to the God who manufactured you So you can fulfill that incredible purpose that was already predetermined. You're not a misfit. You're not a mistake. You were purposed before you were made and before you arrived. That's important to know as a foundation. Key number two. Your purpose determines your design. Your purpose determines your design. What I'm going to use something for determines how I make it or design it. 
When we first saw a stealth fighter, it looked strange. You see a picture on the screen. It did not look like a contemporary airplane that we're all accustomed to seeing all of the time. It had right angles, triangular shape, low silhouette, black radar-absorbing paint. And the reason it is strange is its purpose. Its purpose to avoid radar detection determined its design. When British Air and Air France teamed up to build the world's first supersonic airliner called the Concorde, its purpose was predetermined before its design. I've had the pleasure to fly that airplane twice, three hours, 15 minutes, New York, London. 60,000 feet, 1,435 miles an hour, twice the speed of sound, 25 miles a minute, get down somebody, no highway patrol can catch you. <laughs> we don't have a jet fighter in our inventory that can stay with it more than three minutes, and it cruises at Mach 2. A phenomenal aircraft, very thin, slender, very thin wings. Got that six-pack on each wings, and it is made narrow, skinny. You can't carry your mother-in-law in 14 bags on this plane like I'm going to get on this afternoon because it's made small and thin to go high and fast. Its purpose determined its design. Stop arguing with the mirror. Stop arguing with others' expectation about you. Your design is perfect for the purpose God made you. I'm ho You know, if your sermon's not good, get good props. I don't know. <laughs> I got lots of them. I hold in my left hand, behold, a tablespoon. This is great for soup. You want more to your mouth, so it's rather large. Then you have another spoon, scoop, but this one is similar but different. The one on the right is an ice cream spoon. Now, every man in this room knows that when you want ice cream, you got to thaw it. And if you don't thaw it, it's hard as a brick. And if you take your wife's nice spoon and jam it in, it makes a nice L. It... <laughs> It does not hold up because this tablespoon was for hot soup, not frozen ice cream. But a good inventor with a purpose made reinforced aluminum and made something that you can put 200 pounds on in frozen ice cream because you're impatient to wait on it to melt and it won't bend and the ice cream comes out. You hear what I'm saying? If you have a teaspoon... It was originally made for tea. Now, our teaspoons are not real teaspoons. They're bigger. Our teaspoons are about two feet long for Texas glass and iced tea. But we are descendants of Great Britain in our immigration to this country. And if you go to London with me and we have tea, a teaspoon is very tiny because it's made for tea. And you get a little lump of sugar for your tea. It's quite small. But its design was determined by the purpose. Now, I hope you can understand why we're different. Our church 
Why do you have an express service for an hour? Why do you offer things for children? Why do you have a shorter service? Why do you choose messages that are more encouraging and upbeat? And de- because our goal was to reach unreached, unchurched people, not high-maintenance, low-impact, recycled Christians. They just change church like underwear. You can't build on them. And so I thought, okay, they're going to heaven. Well, they're our brothers and sisters, but I don't want them. So we're going to have to, if our purpose is to reach a particular group, we design the service and the church for that. Right? You walk into a hundred-year-old church and the music and the style was for a purpose long gone. It was designed for a purpose. Now, it's not right or wrong. That was their choice. So understand, purpose determines design. Okay? So don't argue anymore with the designer who created you and say, why have you made me thus? My design is perfect for my purpose. Everybody okay? God did not make you wrong. If he'd have wanted a boy, he'd have had one. So get your drag outfit off. There's nothing wrong with you. Nothing wrong with you. God made you right. He gave you the right plumbing. He gave you the right right chemistry because he made you right. Now, somebody else told you you were wrong. They lied. The manufacturer is the only one who can tell you why something was made and how to use it in the right manner to get the maximum effect from it. And that's what God does. He made you, and it's He who has the plan and purpose for you. And it's always the enemy who wants to use people and hurt in your life to corrupt the purpose God made you for. So just chill. God didn't make a mistake. Number three, your purpose predicts your potential. Your purpose predicts your potential. It's not the other way around. Uh, Purpose does not, uh, potential does not predict your purpose. It is your purpose that determines how much potential you have. I hear people say all the time, oh, she's so full of potential. Especially when the kids are in ballet. The teachers will always say to your clumsy child who hasn't gotten it in two years, oh, she has potential. And they want to keep taking your money. And I had a ballet teacher tell me, That they were taught to say that because the parents are going to be upset. The children can't hit their mark. They don't seem to make the periers. They don't seem to do things well. And they've had lesson after lesson after lesson. And they're still as clumsy as ever. And they're taught to say, oh, but she has potential. Here's the bill. Pay me. Okay, now I want you to see that potential is overrated. If a kid is good at it, they catch on quick and they keep improving as they practice. I know a lot of Christians loaded with potential who never do anything for the kingdom. I've got a package of new batteries in my desk right now, loaded with potential, full of power. But they will never do anything until they're plugged into their purpose. I've got to hook up a CD, a flashlight, a radio. What they were made for will then determine their potential. It's not the other way around. Potential by itself is worthless. You've got to plug your life in to the purpose God made you. But you have to be willing. Paul said, I press to know that purpose. You have to know and press in to find out what you're designed to do. Proverbs 26, verse 13. The slothful man says there's a lion in the street and he won't go to work. There ain't no lion in the street. Get your lazy behind out of bed. You just don't want to go to work. You see, and the whole issue was he has an excuse for not going to work. But as long as you make excuses, you'll stay addicted to the wrong things. You'll never walk into God's purpose. People complain they have a discipline problem. I want to say you don't. You have a vision problem. Discipline is never the objective. 
Discipline is a byproduct of a vision, of a destiny. When you see something you want to achieve, you then have produced a willingness to pay the price to get it. I want to be thinner. I want to, I want to, to make more money. I want to be more effective in my witness. I want, to, I want to build a more effective church. Okay, that goal, that vision, that destiny will produce a discipline in me to achieve it because I see it and I want it. But God says where there's no vision, people cast off restraint. They have no discipline. They go wild. Why? Because discipline comes out of a vision. So you don't need to beat people up and say, you need more discipline. No, they need a vision. They need this to be able to see a purpose for their life. That's for our children as well. That's the holy... And, and discipline by itself that doesn't come out of a destiny results in legalism and bondage. Just putting out a bunch of rules doesn't help anybody. You've got to envision me on why this is beneficial to my life. And if you can make that convincing, I'm willing to pay the price to have it. Same for your kids. Same for Christians. You with me? But for years, I had people just preach rules and regulations, but no vision. And there was no purpose to it, and it never did work. Your purpose predicts your potential. Number four, God's purpose is always nestled in your nature. God's purpose is tucked neatly, nestled in your nature. Webster defines nature as the particular combination of qualities belonging to a person by birth, by origin, or by construction. So God's calling and purpose is nestled in you and comes naturally out of you. When I say it's nestled in your nature, it's what you do naturally. Birds are not only designed to fly, they love to fly. Fish love to swim. Retrievers love to retreat. And when we try something for the first time and we find ourselves pretty good at it, We'll say of that person, why, he took to that like a duck to water. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying it means that he must be designed to do it, and it's in his nature to do it. It just came second nature to him. Does that make sense? Have you ever tried something and it wasn't natural? And you practiced and it still wasn't natural. It's not in your nature. And it's not in God's agenda for you. Drop it as soon as you can. You ever watch hunting dogs? We have uh, a pack, unfortunately, that live a block away from us. You can hear them for 40 miles. Now, they lay in the pens most of the day half dead. But let that neighbor back a pickup truck up to those cages. And he got on a certain gear. And that dog sees it. And he goes ballistic, ears up, everything at attention. They come alive. They go berserk. They're insane. They're going hunting because it's in their nature. God wired them for that. You never back up the truck, load the dead dog onto the truck, take him out in the woods and say, Now, Fido, this is the woods, and you need now to get excited. No, 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 no. no. See, when they are released into the environment they were designed by God to perform in, they love it. They come alive. And so will you. When you get in the environment and in the calling that God had for you. Uh, you say, well, I... Some of you have a job, not a life. You're not living a dream. You're just living an eight-hour job. And therefore, you don't feel that passion. You don't even like it. See, people don't do an employer a favor. 
if they take the money and take a job, and then they got to, the employer has to say, now please, be excited. Please be excellent. Please be passionate. Please love what you do. Don't stand out and greet somebody with a frown saying, glad to see you today. <laughs> that obviously is not in his nature. But I got some people here who will give you a massage before you get off those stairs because they love contact with you. They love what they do. I love those people burning their tennis shoes off out in the parking lot. Last night, it must have been 106 on the asphalt. And I walked around as many as I could find just to say, I love you. I thank you. And they just seemed to enjoy not having air conditioning and being out there in that hostile environment, helping people and bringing order out of chaos. I'm saying, if you hate your job tomorrow and you're dreading going to work, maybe you ought to reexamine your calling. Because you don't have to tell a man, get excited about what he loves to do, what comes naturally out of him, and God will always lead you that way. Religion may put you in something you're not designed. Oh, I'll tell you, it will. If you marry a preacher, God help you. Oh, God help you. Have mercy. Because you've got to proxide your hair blonde, wear a lot of jewelry, get long nails, do a lot of hallelujahs. You've got to play the piano or the organ. And you have to teach the ladies Bible class. But you won't find it in the Bible. Peter's wife didn't preach at all. I know he's married because he had a mother-in-law. It said he did. He even healed her in the house. We don't, we don't have any record that any of those women preached. We know Lydia did. We know that uh, uh, there, a number of women are named. But isn't it remarkable that that is a pre-assumed expectation put on people that is not in a line with their gift and calling. The most phenomenal Bible teacher we have here or any television show that I've ever seen on TV is Sandy Ross. It's in her nature. It's easy. She can get up and burp and unprepared and lay out most people that try to teach the Bible. And I've been very careful, and I hope my wife will give me a, a, an acknowledgement that I have never pressed her to minister beyond her gifting and what comes naturally to her, what fits her comfortably and flows beautifully out of her, and yet the religious system forces you to comply, not necessarily within your gifts. And it causes people to divorce, it causes people to be stressful, it causes people to be unhappy, and it causes people not to be at their best potential for God, and then ultimately blame God. When God said, I didn't do it. A religious system you're in did it. And so I've been very careful. You say, well, are your children going to be missionaries? Why should they be? If God's called them to be and equipped them to be, I'm not a missionary. You ain't going to get me under no mosquito net somewhere. <laughs> if it ain't got a mall and a laundry, I'm not going. I ain't no missionary. It's not in my wiring. I want to. Where's the air? Turn it on. I, and I, I just, I'm made different. Now, I support missionaries. And we send missionaries. But I got, I got good news. I'm not one. So well, what do people think? Who cares what they think? What well, God made me. He didn't make me no missionary. Now, if he did, I'll say, where can I go next? We love it. There was no air, no electricity, no toilet. Whoa, it was great. It was? <laughs> well, you see, you've got to get a new, a new vision here. God's not going to make you do something you hate. God's not going to make something you don't have a passion to do. And, and I was never taught that. And it was bondage. So you're going to go free today. You need to understand. You, the nature of a person is a powerful clue to their calling. 
God wires us all differently. But nestled in the thing that relates and conforms to the calling of purpose, it's in our nature. Marcia Sinatar wrote the book, Do What You Love and the Money Will Follow. This is a secular book, but I want you to see a principle. The world is sometimes smarter than a believer. In Luke 16, 8, it says the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light. See, she's convincing people, but she doesn't give God any credit. She's using a biblical principle. And this is a secular book. But why is it exciting? Why does it work? Because God made you to do successfully what he put in you. And she just... Clinical psychologists and other people who study the business world figured this out. That if I can get you to do what you love, your resources will follow and you will be successful at it. But the average Christian believes that if he does what God says, he'll be miserable. God won't take a guy who's got a piano in the living room, a guitar in the bedroom, a powerful sound system, thousands of CDs, who writes music constantly and then make him a postman. Some of you still have that old religious image. That's what will happen to me. I'll have, to go to, I'll have to go to Pakistan if I give my life to God. Not a chance, unless you've been wanting to go to Pakistan. And you'd like to go to Pakistan. And you like to travel. And you like roughing it. Roughing it for me is when the air conditioner goes off. All right, that's roughing it for me. That's it. Okay, now, I, I try to set you free to give you liberty to understand God's getting a bad deal. He's not going to make you do what He hasn't wired you to do. Um... Uh, Dave Pels wanted to be a PGA golf pro. But when he discovered how good the average touring pro was, it dawned on him, he'd never be another Tiger Woods or Jack Nicklaus. So he realized, I'm not going to be able to make a living as a golf pro, because the average are better than me. But because he loved golf and it was his life passion, he studied golf pros. He followed them on tour, studied every shot they hit, how far, how accurate, what club selection they used. And then he began to compile hundreds of thousands of statistics. Pretty soon, the pros who kept seeing this guy always following them asked him what he was doing. And when they found out, they began to ask for information. Pels showed them where they were losing ground, why they weren't making more money on the tour. The pros took that information about themselves, began to improve, and they began writing large checks to Pels. Pretty soon, he published a book called Dave Pell's Short Game Bible for 30 bucks. He has another one I hold in my hand called Dave Pell's Putting Bible, 30 bucks. But for you golf men, when your wife says, what are you doing? You can say, I'm reading my Bible. (laughs) The point is, he loved golf. And while he couldn't make money as a touring pro, he stayed in the field of golf. Some of you have to recognize that that passion God put in you may not be for the one part of it that you want, but it may be in that related field. So he stayed in his passion in the field of golf and was successful, prosperous, and happy. God's purpose is nestled and what comes naturally to you. I watched an interview with Tiger Woods. This is about three years ago. And again, at that time when he was such electricity and a phenomenon, they says, well, how do you do what you do? And I remember his frustration because he was saying, well, I practice and I do this and I do that. But everybody practices. He finally said to the guy, look, I don't know. It's just the gift. The real pros that make it easy in anything, 
don't know why they know. Because it's in your nature. God wired it in. It just works. How do you get up and do that? How can somebody unprepared still look good in what they do? Because it's in their nature to do it. God made them that way. If you have to have two weeks' notice to have somebody come to your house and eat, you ain't got the gift of hospitality. (laughs) Hello. That is not that you're being hospitable, but it's not the gift. The gift is your husband brings three people home unannounced, and you're not unhappy, and you you, you microwave some chili, con carne, and throw out some apple pie on the table, and you're happy, and you're not irritated. You have a gift of hospitality. You have a good marriage. (laughs) Well, I'm just calling it like it is. Number five. Are you okay so far? Number five. Your calling coincides with your gifts and abilities. Your purpose, your calling, coincides with your gifts and abilities. Owls can see at night. They're nocturnal. Why? God designed them that way. That's when they feed. Woodpeckers can't see after night, but they've got strong beaks. Why? Because their their gift and ability allows them to break through bark to get insects in wood. And they can survive. I want you to watch for just a minute and a half a brief film clip from the movie Chariots of Fire. A Scotsman named Eric Little, who was called to be a missionary to China, also discovered he was extremely fast as a runner. And in this clip, Eric's sister Jenny has been begging him to go to China to run the mission post with her. And he is going to go. He knows God has made him a missionary to China. He has that gift, that calling. But he also wants to run in the Olympics. And he did in 1924. Watch to see how his gifts and callings coincide. Tight and a half, isn't it, Jenny? Old Ricky. We sad to leave it. I've decided. I'm going back to China. The missionary service have accepted me. Oh, Oh, I'm so pleased. I've got a lot of running to do first. Jenny. Jenny, you've got to understand. I believe that God made me for a purpose. For China. He also made me fast. And when I run... I feel his pleasure. To give it up would be to hold him in contempt. You were right. It's not just fun. To win is to honor him. Mm. One of the best movies of the year, 1962. If you have never seen it, you ought to watch it. Now listen. Did you hear what he said? When I run, I feel God's pleasure. 
I'm calling this message, Feeling God's Pleasure. His gifts and ability were not just one. He had two. He says, not to use this gift. God made me for China, but he also made me fast, would be to hold his, him, God, in contempt. And to win is not just fun. It's to honor him. If every NBA, NFL, Christian young man, and every businessman in here, and housewife raising children, and minister and teacher in every department, had that same philosophy, to win is to honor him. And when I do what I have been gifted and equipped to do, I feel good about it. I feel his pleasure. Cindy and I were just in Colorado Springs, and we were arguing at the point doctrinally that some of the athletes who are superstars in their field, we met Randall Cunningham, uh, uh, Chris Carter with the Minnesota Vikings, uh, uh, Grand Hill, Rand, uh, was it Cunningham I said? I can't remember. We met so many who's who of the NBA and, and the NFL that they get this idea that they need to leave football or basketball and become preachers. And I says, the, now please be gracious. When I sat there and listened to them waffle around forever, I thought, you're going to starve to death as a preacher. And the only reason we're going to sit here and listen to all this waffling around is because you are excellent in what God made you to do. If you stop doing what God made you to do, you stop winning, and God doesn't get honored. You become, you become a failure because He did not design you to be a pastor. He designed you to be a witness, but not a pastor. Keep running that football. Keep shooting those baskets. Keep being excellent at what you were designed to do. And it gives you a platform to honor Him with your resources and your success in helping other young people emulate that role model and bringing them to Christ. And when you do it, He said, I love that. I feel His pleasure. See, when you find the thing you're created to do, you feel His pleasure. It don't matter if you're a housewife. Preaching a sermon, teaching a class, parking a car, selling insurance, selling cars, writing books. When you do it, because he made you to do it, you feel his pleasure. George Foreman, a world boxing champion and a preacher in Houston, Texas, with an orphanage at a boy's home and a church. Recently was on Dave Letterman's night, late night show. And Letterman asked him, George, how can you be a preacher and a fighter? And George stood up and said, hold my Bible and I'll show you. <laughs> Well, George can preach and witness, but he can fight because God made him that way, you see? And people who do what they're designed to do make it look easy because God equips us with gifts that coincide with our purpose. Key number six, God provides for his purpose, not your plans. God provides for his purpose, not your plans. Many people are doing what God never called them to do, and then asking Him to pay the bills. But resources follow your assignment, not your direction. If I'm not doing what He designed me to do, there is no promise of provision for it. I, you know, if I was a leader and started this church, and, and we were into our 10th year, and we still hadn't grown, hadn't, didn't own anything, still couldn't pay the bills, still didn't have... I'd say... I made a mistake. I was honest, I was sincere, but I made a mistake. 
If there ain't nobody following you, you ain't no apostle, you ain't no bishop, you ain't even the, the leader. So you need to find out what God made you to do, and there'll be fruit bearing in it, there will be a pleasure in it, and there will be success in it. And it looks like the ministry gets people who volunteered, mother called them, the denomination called them, they ought to stop it and say, quit making everybody miserable. You're not happy doing it. You look unhappy doing it. You make me feel bad watching you do it. Stop doing it. Folks, can you handle this? I used to wish people would talk this way in the church. They talk this way secularly, but they don't do it in the church. Resources follow your assignment. Not your hairstyle. Not even style points. But if I've been planning, when God told me to make a bid on that carousel for a future you don't even see with children yet, because it's still three years off. Make it. If I heard God, resources follow. If I didn't, I'm going to cripple us. See? Now, I'm not going to cripple us. And we did the wise counsel. We did the right things. And every time we've made a decision from renting to purchasing to building, God has been with us every step of the way, confirming the fact that's our purpose. That's exactly what he's called us to do. If everything I did failed and nothing worked, I'd get the idea, we are goofing this up, boys. Stop. Let's have mercy on the people and do something else. And shut the door and make this place a car dealership or something. That's what I would do. Now, I love this. You don't have to promote yourself. Proverbs 18, verse 16. A man's gift makes room for him. Not your agent. Not your own tooting your horn. But when he puts his gift in you, your job is to serve no matter where you're planted. Do your best. No business cards, phone calls, resumes, trumpets announcing your arrival. Just serve. Never say, I'm new in church and I want to sing specials. Not good. Not good. You serve. You serve. David served. He was going to be a king, but he was just serving. He didn't candidate for king. He didn't try to get a, a, an endorsement in a caucus. He didn't promote himself. He just served. And God brought him to kingship. Joseph just served. And remember, the man's gift made room for him. Everywhere he was placed by cruel hands, they saw his gift and promoted him. Until finally Pharaoh saw it and made him ruler over Egypt. So if, you were, if you're a great singer, but you're new here, you start off serving in the children's ministry, it won't take a long, long time of faithful service before people say, did you know so-and-so can sing like Mario Lanza, Barbara Streisand, or the girl from Canada? What's her name? Celine Dion, whatever. The stick woman. Anyway, boy, she can sing. That woman needs to eat something. But anyway... She's a great voice. But, but my point is, it, the word will get out, and in time, your gift will make room for you. Listen to what God says. The gift will make room for you. Psalm 75 says, promotion comes from the Lord. Let Him push you up. Don't push yourself up, because He may push you out of the way. Right? Someone will begin to notice that you're doing extremely well, and that report will reach the top. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. See a man diligent in his business. He shall stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. Now, most people get it wrong. I want to meet important people. Then God says, you be diligent where you're planted in business. God will see to it that you stand before important people. Glenn Campbell started as a studio musician and master guitarist. Occasionally, he was asked to sing back up with some star artists. He also wrote songs that became other people's hits. Ultimately, his gift made room for him. 
And he became the standout artist who wrote his own music and sang his own songs. Do what God has put in you, and eventually you'll find God's promotion. Number seven, here's the last one. Learn to soar with your strengths and manage your weaknesses. Learn to soar with your strengths and manage your weaknesses. If you can't handle money well, but your wife has a gift of administration, or maybe she's actually a trained accountant, let her manage your money. You make it, let her manage it. Just because you can make it doesn't mean you can manage it. And it, you say, well, I'm head of my home. Yeah, but you're an idiot. You're going to break the home. You can't handle the money. You, you can make it on the court, but you don't know how. You buy 14 cars before you get home. And your wife is a good steward. So let her manage your weakness. You soar. She can't play ball. You soar with your strength. You make it, let her manage it. And you're both blessed. And the home is blessed. I don't know why we get that backwards in church. Um, children, direct them into the areas of their strengths, not their weaknesses. Well, my kids, they just, you know, Billy just can't pass a math test. It's just the hardest thing. He hates it. He cries about it. He just hates it. And doesn't make good grades in math. But he makes A's and B's in literature and art. So what does the average parent do? The way we've been taught to do it. Give them more math. <laughs> Give them more about what they're not designed to do. That's what we've done in the church. And that's what we've done in our school program. Nonsense. Put them in the A and the B area and keep pushing them down that road because that's the clue to their identity and a clue to God's purpose in them. You say, well, I want my kid to go to college. Well, education is important. Don't deify college because that kind of an education may be not for your one child. It may be for the other one. But for this one, it may be specialty education in an area of their strength. And before you make fun, they may be paying your bills in 10 years. They may outdo everybody in the family. Just because you graduate in college does not guarantee you success. They're starving to death everywhere. And let's, uh, let's, let's, get, let's get people out of that peer pressure of an educational system that's not biblical. In other words, get them the education in the area of their passion and excellence and what comes naturally. And they will succeed. Turn to Romans 12, last verse. See, find what you love to do, do more of it, but manage your weakness. I'm a leader. I love to cast vision. I love to exhort people to achieve their dreams, to get out of their comfort zone and go for it. I know that's in me. And I know I love when I do it. But I hate meetings. I hate financial statements. I hate uh, interview counseling. I'm not a counselor. I'm miserable. I'll run hide. He's not here. Okay. Well, don't get a hernia. Then let's work as a family and as a team. Let me cast the vision and then let somebody else do the administration. And if that's not a job, but a gift... They'll be passionate. They'll get a warm, fuzzy feeling doing what I hate. The church will be stronger because of it. And I'll do what I love and do it better and better and better. And he'll do what he loves or she loves better and better and better. And the whole church family just reeks with excellence and reeks with productivity. See, just because I'm the pastor, I don't do it all. We'll take Louie out of the new member's class and it'll be a disaster. My wife say. What are we going to do today? Well, today we have to, we're going to be teaching for four hours new members. Oh! 
I'd rather go see my proctologist. I don't want to do that. But honey, you got to. But I don't want to. Well, just do it anyway. That's, that's how we've been doing it. That's wrong. So God's given us a wonderful team of men and women who make up the weakness. You delegate your weakness. You soar with your strength. Do it in business. Do it in marriage. Do it as a family. Do it as a church. Do it in life and in a team. Romans 12, verse 6. God has given each of us the ability to do certain things. I underline certain things. Not everything. Well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, don't join the choir. Come on. Speak out when you have faith God speaking through you. If your gift is that of serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, do a great job of teaching. If your gift is to encourage others, do it. If you have money, pay off the carousel. Share it. <laughs> Share it generously. Yes, sir. That's, see, you expect me to learn as a preacher and as a greeter to do a better job, but I expect you, if God gave you the gift to make money, make lots of it. And it, 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 it certainly be benefited yourself, but use the excess for the kingdom. That's a, that's a spiritual job for you, just like this is mine. If God's given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Find your gift, do more of it. Close your Bible. Mark Twain tells the story of a man who spent his entire life searching for the world's greatest general, but he never found him. Finally, the man died and went to heaven. He was greeted by St. Peter. This is obviously not good theology, but it's just a good story. The man said to St. Peter, I'm looking for the world's greatest general. And Peter says, well, come with me. And in a few minutes, St. Peter pointed out a man and says, there is the world's greatest general. The man said back to Peter, you must be mistaken. That man was a blacksmith in my hometown. Oh, that's true, said Peter. But if he had been a general, he would have been the world's greatest general. And boy, when I read Mark Twain's story, it snapped in me. It says, I wonder what could have been will be written over some of us because we had fear, we stayed comfortable, we didn't follow the passion, the nature, the gifting, the purpose that God designed us for. I wonder who could have built the greatest church. I wonder who could have built the most successful business, raised the best children. I wonder who could have come up with more creative things. And here's the thing. The people that have that gift and ability but won't use it will never achieve it. Don't live a life. Live a dream. Live a passion. Live a destiny. That's it. Don't let your dream die in you. Life is too short. The kingdom is too precious and the need too great. Find the thing God made you to do that makes you tick when you do it. Give yourself to it with all your heart. Glorify God with it. And when you do